You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we are continuing a series we started uh, a couple weeks ago called The Genius of Jesus. And as we kind of kick off, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a genius at something. You can figure out what the something is later. Uh, For those watching online, why don't you post in the comments, what's something you've always wanted to be a genius of? So you can post in the comments, what's one thing you've always wanted to be a genius of? So we're talking about genius, and and I know this is kind of a weird thing maybe to talk about in church, but I believe that genius isn't absent, thinking isn't absent, uh, thought shouldn't be absent from the church. I think there's something powerful about us engaging our mind, and, and I love this idea that Jesus wasn't just a good man, a moral man, or a religious man. Jesus was a genius in so many different ways. And that's what we're talking about throughout this month, are are the different geniuses of Jesus. Uh, Now, one of the most confounding struggles of the human experience is the battle that we face on a regular basis with situational ethics. In other words, how our ethics, morals, and values can shift or, or maybe be revealed in moments that aren't completely black and white, when it's not a clear struggle between right and wrong. These are situations like if if a loved one is hurt or in need, is it okay to disregard traffic laws to get them to the hospital? If you were with us last week, my mom answered that question. Uh, or, or, Or this, if your family was genuinely starving, is it okay to steal food? Or, or if an intruder breaks into your house and your kids are threatened, is it okay to kill? Or or if you find yourself stranded with a group of people on a deserted island, there's no food accessible, is it okay to digress into cannibalism? And the tension of decisions like these is that the answer and the solution is rarely black and white. You know, it's easy for us to believe that breaking laws, stealing, killing, or practicing cannibalism is something that we would never, ever do, that is, until you find yourself in that situation, the truth is we make decisions like these every single day, whether, it's, whether we realize it or not. These are decisions that challenge our values and our sense of ethics. For, for example, you work long hours at work. While you're providing financially for your family, you're robbing them of your presence. Or, or when you give to incredible needs that are present, present in, in Ukraine right now, You're neglecting the millions on the verge of starvation right now because of drought and the Horn of Africa. The reality is none of us have the time, resources, or energy to be part of meeting every need that's important or that matters, even those that we feel are important to us. Just take, for example, we just saw a minute ago, updates with our Calvary Cares campaign. Our our Calvary Cares campaign this year, we've engaged in some really, really important needs and projects. As we saw just a minute ago, we're helping further the fight against sex sex trafficking in Southeast Asia. We're we're helping individuals learn English and more importantly experience the hope of Jesus in some of the darkest parts of the Middle East. We're helping fight homelessness and food insecurity by providing snack packs for the homeless throughout the city of Pittsburgh. These are such important causes to put our time and our resources toward as a church, But, but here's the reality. Even if you adopted just one of these and gave all of your time and resources that you have available to you from now until the day you die, the needs would still be present. And and here's why I share this with you. Because we often assume 
that our decisions are between right and between wrong. But that's almost never the case. We live our lives in a place where situational ethics are constantly at play. We aren't positioned between right choices and wrong choices, but we make decisions between the good we will do and the good we will not do. This is what makes life so complex and oftentimes so incredibly stressful. The world becomes so much easier and simpler when everything is black and white. It becomes even clearer when it's a battle between good and evil. And this is what religion does for us. Religion boils everything down to these two conclusions. Either God did it or it's the work of Satan. But this frame of thinking has led to some of the most horrific behaviors in history. Whether it be the crusades that took place over hundreds of years throughout Europe or or the Spanish Inquisition. People have killed, injured, and ruined lives all in the name of God's work versus the work of Satan. In more modern times, people have strapped bombs to their body, killing innocent lives all in the name of their God. Others have used their belief system as justification for racism and oppression and violence. And in all these situations, people felt so strongly that they were acting on God's behalf, although history would show us that tragically they were wrong. The reality is, living in today's culture, it has become increasingly difficult to determine what we should do, or what is best to do. If you choose paper bags over plastic, you're killing trees over saving the oceans. If you choose expensive clothes, you're materialistic. While if you choose cheaper clothes, you're perpetuating sweatshops in third world countries. Do we drive the electric car that's powered by electricity, that's created by coal, or do we drive a car with a combustion engine? Do we weep for those dying of poverty around the world, or do we give to help those in our own communities struggling to make ends meet? The, the dilemma of doing enough good has never been bigger than it is today. We see the extreme good versus evil battle leaving us with such little room to actually be a human being. This becomes a burden none of us can carry, and really, none of us were created to carry. That's because most of our decisions are not made at the crossroads of good versus evil. This is where the genius of Jesus shines so brightly through. He presents an entirely different way to view the complicated, sometimes confusing world that we find ourselves in. Jesus didn't teach us to choose between good and evil or right and wrong. Instead, he, cho- he challenges us to choose between doing what is right and what is good. And, and here's a simple thought I want to share with you guys in our brief time together today. It's this, that living to be right is the greatest enemy to doing the most good. Living to be right is the greatest enemy to doing the most good. And stick with me for a minute before you think I'm a heretic here. (laughs) There are these two really interesting stories right in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew that illustrate this. The first story seems like just another normal day, almost too mundane to be included in the Gospel story. Here's, here's what it says, what takes place in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. They're like, what is the deal? That seems way too simple. Now, when the Pharisees, who were, if you're not familiar, they were religious leaders at that time. When the Pharisees saw this, they called out the disciples for breaking the Sabbath law. Now, this law, if you're not familiar, this law stated that you weren't allowed to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. From their perspective, 
picking heads of grain was the equivalent of harvesting grain, which was work, would have been illegal according to Sabbath law. Now, you have to understand the context of what's taking place here. The, the backdrop of this is that the Jews took the Big Ten, what we call the Ten Commandments, and they added 613 additional laws on top of those ten. Those were 613 different ways they were trying not to offend God. Since the Pharisees were experts of this Jewish law, God, Jesus decides he's going to respond to their challenge, their concern, with a, a story from Jewish scripture. Here's what he says in verse 3 of Matthew 12. It's recorded in the NIV here. Now, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. He's saying, hey, David, in Scripture, we see this example. His, him and his friends, they, they did this thing that, that lawfully wasn't right. He then turns back to the practice of the priests in the, priests in the next verse, verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the temple, the Sabbath, and yet are innocent, meaning they're doing work on the Sabbath, he, he, his point in both of these responses is to really pose this question. Is it possible to not do what is right and yet still be good? Is, is it possible to not do what you know is right but still be good? And then he makes this almost indicting statement in verse 7 and 8. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Here, here's what he's getting at. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will come to the conclusion that the purpose of life is simply to avoid doing wrong. That if I can avoid doing wrong, I've succeeded in life. After all, this is why laws exist, to keep us ultimately from doing wrong. But even if you've obeyed every single law, it doesn't mean that you're doing any good. From this story, Matthew, the gospel writer here, takes us on this journey along with Jesus, now into the synagogue. Those who were irritated at Jesus were once again looking for a way to catch him doing something wrong or unlawful on the Sabbath. So they turned their attention to a man with a shriveled hand outside the synagogue that day. The religious leaders had their perfect object lesson for Jesus. Here's what they ask him in verse 10 of Matthew 12. Is it unlawful? Is it unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? Simple question. They're, asking, they're trying to kind of set him up to, to get him in trouble. And Jesus does what he has done many, many times over. He answers their question with a question. He was brilliant at this. If you just study the Gospels and the numerous times, Jesus would answer a question with a question. It's brilliant. He answers this question with a question. Verse 11. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, Jesus knew their answer right out of the gate. They wouldn't wait for a second to pull that sheep out of a pit. This is a situational ethics decision. Then he hits them with a zinger, verse 12. He says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He's saying it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus' real exclamation point, though, would come not through his words, but his actions. He asked the man to extend his shriveled hand to Jesus. 
And as he does this, Jesus, right there, on the Sabbath, in front of the religious leaders, heals the man instantly. Instantly. What what was taking place here is Jesus had no room for people who hid behind doing what was right, ultimately to avoid doing what was good. And, And here's the challenge that we face. On the path to doing good, we will oftentimes find ourselves in conflict with those committed simply to doing what is right. What that means is we should never allow our religion to keep us from doing good. But but the problem is this is why religion exists. It exists to establish roles that keep us from doing wrong or, or we might say to keep us from sinning. And if we're not careful, those roles can keep us from thinking. It it can keep us from from living out this mindless existence that, that can become a thoughtless structure that we operate within that causes us at times to do what is right but to avoid doing what is good. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had spent their entire lives keeping the Sabbath holy. This practice had the most godly of intentions. However, it kept them from doing the most sacred thing that could have been done on that day, which is helping that man find healing. Jesus, on the other hand, he embodied this idea that the most sacred expression of a human being is helping another human being experience good. That that, that as a human being, the most sacred of our expressions is doing good for the sake of another human being. Now, I've met so many people over my time as a pastor and a leader in church that, that find themselves struggling to figure out direction in their lives. They're trying to make these big decisions. I remember a few years ago talking to Pastor Michael, who was up here a minute ago, and he was working a full-time job at a retail store at the time, but was feeling unfulfilled. He was sensing God had something different in store for him, but he, he wasn't quite sure what that was supposed to look like. He was paralyzed by the fear of making a misstep, accidentally going in the wrong direction with his life. What, what I told him that day, I'll encourage you with today. It was this. Just try it. Just try it. Uh, what, if, what if there isn't just one clear way that you might miss if you're not careful? Like it's a small little slither, sliver of time or a, a, a door that you just have to jump in when it, when it opens. This is a fear that is universal across our world and society. Those younger, older, richer, poor. What if... I make the wrong decision at this crossroads moment and miss my destiny, my reason for being. What if I screw it up? We struggle often because we have this lens that we are viewing the world through. It's the lens that there is a right path for our lives and a wrong path. And somehow, throughout my entire life and existence on earth, I have to find myself on the right path. Now, I'm not talking about the path towards salvation. That is pretty clear in Scripture. It is that Jesus is the the path towards salvation. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, the big decisions that we make, the, 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 the direction that your decisions take you. The career you pursue, the college you attend, the place your kids are raised. We can easily paralyze ourselves over big life decisions like this because we're afraid that we're going to make the wrong decision. This is where the conversation Jesus is having about doing good comes into play. What if it's not about the right or wrong path for your life? What if it's the path of the most good? Think about this. What if instead of trying to figure out which decision 
is the most right for you. Instead, you ask which decision can do the most good for others. What, what, if, what if that's the question? It's not about what's right for me. It's about what's, what, what can I do to help the most people, to do the most good for others. Here's a simple filter to use when making big decisions like this. This is a filter that I believe God has placed within us to help us clarify the twists, the turns, the opportunities, sometimes confusing nature of life. The best decision or direction is where these three things converge together. What you're good at, what will do the most good for others, what you have the opportunity to do. So what you're good at, what will do the most good for others, and what you have the opportunity to do. We are so often looking for a word from God on, on these decisions. And I do believe that God speaks to us through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and that's so important. But often, he's already spoken and we're completely missing it. He's created us a certain way. He's positioned us to see a certain need. And he's opened a door at a certain time. You see, everywhere you turn today, we are in some way destroying our world or negatively affecting the people that call this place home. Whether it's damaging the atmosphere, the oceans, financing sweatshops, it can feel like there are no right choices out there in our world. Anywhere we turn seems to be wrong. But when you go all the way back to the creation story, in the book of Genesis, there's this, 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 this statement that is made from the very beginning of Scripture. And, and it's made through this literary toll practice that we see at play in this first chapter of the Bible through the creation story. It's the practice of repetition, which is a very common thing done in, in ancient scripture, uh, especially throughout Hebrew literature, uh, to emphasize something. In the first chapter of Genesis, six different times throughout the first five days of creation, it's recorded that God finished the work of creation, and he makes this statement each time. And it's a statement that it was good. Can you say that with me? It was good. It was good. That's like something you say after you eat a nice big steak. Or if you're vegetarian, if you eat a nice big salad, whatever it might be. Like that, that, it was good. But this is what God was doing. He wasn't just having a good meal or having a good time. He was speaking things into existence. And each day, six different times over five days, it says it was good. But then you get to the end of the sixth day after God has created humanity. And at the end of this day, he changes his phrase up a little bit. This time, it doesn't say it was good. It says, it was very good. Wow. Think about this. The world that God created was a world of endless beauty. A world where everywhere the man and woman that he had created would turn, they saw good. What if this is what God intended for us? We so often find ourselves so frightened, we'll choose the wrong choices in life. We spend so much energy trying to avoid the seemingly endless list of possible evils or wrongs. It's no wonder we're paralyzed because finding God's will seems to be so incredibly complicated and difficult to discover. As the worship team comes today, the, the Garden of Eden shows us an entirely different way that God intends for us to live our lives. Every decision Adam and Eve would make, aside from that one tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, every decision they would make was good. 
As sin entered the world, though, humanity adopted a completely different lens. We now view everything around us as a potential wrong. Everywhere you turn, it's a potential wrong. It makes sense that we would create religion and ritual to try and make sense of all of the wrong that's present in our world. But here is the genius of Jesus. He cuts through all of that and simplifies every decision and encounter that we have. He says that the right decision is always to do the good that's right in front of you. The right decision is always to do the good that's right in front of you. It it sounds so simple and yet... It's pure genius. You see, if you're struggling with sin, maybe a pattern of mistakes in your life, shift your focus. Change your lens. Rather than focusing on what you need to stop doing, try focusing on what you need to start doing. Jesus came to this earth not to provide us with this long list of rules and regulations that keep us enchained or in a prison. He came to bring freedom. When you read scripture, You have two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're not familiar, the the Old Testament uh, has has, uh, all of these books that share kind of the story of the Jewish people. And the first five books called the Pentateuch uh, shares all of these laws that that the Jewish people lived their lives by. But then you get to the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. The 27 books in the New Testament share at the beginning of the first four books, the Gospels, the story of Jesus. And, and then as you walk through the Gospels, you see what that story, what Jesus did and created and set in motion as his disciples would establish this thing called the church and would take the message of Jesus across the known world, which was unthinkable at that time, and, and all that transpired from that. And then you get to the end of the Gospels, and you, or end of the New Testament, and you get the, the story of what, would take, what will take place at the end. This is the story of Scripture. But when you take the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament oftentimes is really focused on doing right and wrong. It's focused on the law. You need to live your life according to the law. But Jesus comes onto the scene and and he fulfills the law. He fulfills it. Paul would actually say that that the law reveals our need for a savior. That, That you can't make your life right You can't put yourself in the right place by following the law because the law simply reveals your need for a savior. The thing that makes you good isn't by following the rules. It's by accepting, committing to follow the one who was good, which is Jesus. Jesus didn't come to give us more rules, more regulations to, to, to chain us up. He came to bring us freedom. Jesus frees us from this endless dance of worrying about doing the wrong thing by opening our eyes to what we were ultimately created to do. We were not created to walk this tightrope between right and wrong. We were designed to create beauty and good in all that we say and do, that everywhere you turn, everything you say, you are creating good. You are establishing beauty in our world. Now, you and I, We're not created to do all the good that's in the world. We also were not created to even be good at everything that we do. But the beauty of living for the good is that when you discover what you are good at and how you can do the most good in our world, others start to see genius flow out of your life. And it's not your genius. It's the genius of Jesus flow out of your life. 
Now, the conundrum of this whole idea is different things you see Paul write about. For example, Paul writes in Romans chapter three, his letter to the Roman church. He says in verse 12 that no one is good, not even one. This was Paul. Paul, Paul was a Pharisee, meaning a religious leader, and, and he writes in one of his other letters that, that he had lived perfectly according to the law, meaning he had followed every law down, all 613 of them, down to the, 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 the letter of the law. He, he'd followed them perfect. He was perfect according to the law, and yet he says that he's the greatest sinner of them all. How in the world is that possible? It's because no one is good. No one is good. So how can we do good? The only way we can do good is to experience the one who was good. His name is Jesus. See, I don't know if you've ever had a, a track record that's not good. Maybe it's a criminal record. Maybe it's a, you know, bad uh, folder of missteps and mistakes in your school or your job. You've had, you know, counts against you and, and you carry that with you. You know, one of the crazy things about a medical record, all of the, 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 the medical situations kind of follow you throughout your life, wherever you go, right? You never walk away from those. In, in, in our lives, we, we live our lives oftentimes with this mentality. All the wrong we've done, all the, the bad things we've done, mistakes we've made, they f- will follow us the rest of our lives. We will carry them with us like this giant weight that we're dragging behind us. And the idea of, well, everything we do is a decision between what is right and what is good. You're like, that's not even right. That's craziness. I can't do good because of all of this stuff in my life. That's impossible. You, you really relate to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 that no one is good. I'm not good. You don't know what I do behind closed doors. You don't see the things that I do. You don't know the secrets that I hold on to. The things I'm ashamed of that no one, no one, my spouse doesn't even know. The things that are so bad, so wrong. Mistakes I've made. How could I be good? No one is good. You relate to that. But this is why God, in his love and his mercy and his grace, 2,000 years ago, sent this little baby to Mary and Joseph, this miracle of existence. God in the flesh. Not, Not to give us a religion and a bunch of roles that we can follow, He didn't give us this list of rules that we can just mindlessly follow and and basically put ourselves on autopilot the rest of our lives and and just figure out our way and and one day breathe our last, feeling confident that we followed all the rules and and mindlessly we made it to the end. That's not what God's intention was. He sent Jesus into this world to be good for us. Paul says to be the righteousness that we don't deserve and we couldn't earn. That that lens that we look at where everything seems to be a potential wrong, that he takes the lens off and he puts a new lens on us. That we can now see good. We don't see the evils in our world. We see the good that we can do. Why? Because it's Jesus living through us. In in John chapter one, it says that God was in the flesh, that he made his dwelling among us. We have beheld his glory, it says. That, that concept is this really big word that's really an incredible word. It's this word called incarnation. The incarnation of Jesus, literally that, that, that God took on flesh and blood, like he became a human being, took on humanity. And do you know, I love that John starts the gospel of John that way. We now become the incarnation of Jesus. 
One, one author, Jeannie Mayo, says it this way, that we are Jesus with skin on. You are the incarnation of Jesus. The only good you do is through the work of Jesus in your life. And it's not this abstract, mystical thing that, hey, we're just floating around in this world trying to do more good. It's, it's what naturally flows out of that which is good at its core and been healed and transformed. The fruit that flows from that life is good. So Paul writes in the book of Galatians that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And today, before we wrap up, I don't want to just rush through this moment and say, you know what, uh, we just need to do more good and it's not right or, or wrong, it's right or good. And, and just go, go do that. But what if we could make a decision here today? Two decisions. One, for some of you, say, you know what, I want to choose to accept, to bring the good of Jesus into my life. The good of Jesus has not been in my life. I'm not talking about religion. I talked about earlier. Religion isn't what we're talking about here. Religion's a list of rules. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the goodness of God that came through Jesus, who died on the cross without having ever done anything wrong or deserving it, to take the wrong of our world and our lives upon his shoulders so that he could be good the embodiment of good that we can follow, that we can accept the forgiveness of Jesus. And the Bible says that he can wipe our sin, our wrong, white as snow. Or, or it says that as far as the east is from the west, he can separate us from that wrong, that transgression, that, that, that evil, the, the mistakes that we've made. And if you've never said, I want to experience the good of Jesus, his forgiveness, his life, Live for his purposes for my life because he has an incredible purpose for your life. I want to give you the opportunity today to begin that journey. It's a journey. It's not a decision you make and, you know, everything, you're magically across some line and you're like part of the cool club. Um, I promise you, if you knew me long, know me long enough, I am never part of the cool club. So that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about beginning a journey that changes not just the way you live your life, the way you view your life, the way you view the world around you. Because it's saying, I want to take on the filter of Jesus. I want to see the good that God has created me to do. The beauty God has created me to establish in our world. But we can't do that if no one is good until we accept the goodness of Jesus in our lives, the forgiveness. And say, I want to live for his purpose. We're not going to be perfect, but I want to live for his purposes. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love and your grace, your mercy. Jesus, that you love us so very much that you sacrificed everything for something that wasn't good. Us. Lord, that we make so many mistakes. Lord, that we try so hard to do the right thing so often and still fall short. But Lord, in your grace and your mercy, you still took on the consequences of our wrong so that we could be good. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us this morning. For those gathered here in person, those in one of the shelters this morning, maybe those watching online, the Holy Spirit, just begin to confirm. Confirm what you've been speaking to them and kind of leading them toward. That today is a day to begin a journey, a new journey. Not a journey to avoid wrong. Not a journey to try to survive one more day or one more week. But a journey to live out the good that you've created us to be and to do, to create beauty around us, not because of 
what we have done, but because Jesus, what you have done on the cross. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here, you say, Nick, I, I want to begin that journey following Jesus, the, the journey of experiencing the good that Jesus has. I, I want to read about it, but I want to live it out. This isn't about being part of a religion. It's about living out our lives in the way and the manner that Jesus calls us to and created us to do. If that's you this morning, in a minute, I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven when I, re- when I count to three. Say, today I wanna make that commitment. I wanna begin that journey. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, one, two, three. Just reach your hand toward heaven today. Amen, amen, amen. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. For those watching online or, or somewhere else or, or here, we're gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer with me. Uh, whether you are following Jesus or not, we're gonna pray this together. As we talked about earlier, we're the body of Christ. We're a family. We do this together. And I want you to pray this prayer, not from your head like you're just reciting some empty, mindless words. Speak these words from your heart. These are words you're speaking to your creator, to your savior. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear God, thank you for loving me with all the wrong in my life all mistakes I've made. Today I accept your forgiveness. I accept the good that you bring. Give me the strength and the courage to live my life in a way that honors you and does the good you've called me to. Let me follow you all the days of my life and show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.